times of prayer. How many are glad that you come to a Pentecostal church? Amen. We don't just talk about the Holy Spirit here. We experience the Holy Spirit. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm spiritual but not spooky. Come on, tell your other neighbor, I'm spiritual but not spooky. <laughs> Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis. That's actually today's message. What an amazing confirmation. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, to what I was going to share today. As I was watching Desi bounce off the stage in the Holy Ghost, children getting called up to get prayed for, that sounds about right to me. Amen? That's what church should be. Church should be anything but church as usual. We should have a format, a wineskin that the Lord can pour the wine in, but how many know when you get to drinking the wine, things get a little bit different. Things change up a little bit. And I'm not talking about getting drunk. I'm just saying, how many of you have drank a glass of wine? Those who are adults and can drink wine. How many have drank some wine and it lightened you up a little bit, changed your mood a little bit? Now, if you're going to that always to change your mood, always to lighten up, then you're going to run into issues. But, I mean, I'm just going with the illustration. The Bible says that he's going to give a new wineskin. Somebody say new wineskin. Thank you. A new wineskin has what in it? What does a new wineskin have? Come on. So what are you supposed to do with the wine? Drink it. You don't just pour it out and waste it. Now, the Bible says there was a time to give it to the Lord as a drink offering. So if you've ever seen a music video or the tradition of the homies pouring out a drink, they actually got that from the Bible. Seriously, that came from the Bible. I know it sounds funny, like pour out one, but that actually came from the Bible. Did you know there was a drink offering? And the drink offering wasn't just a drink offering. It was a drink offering. Okay, it was fermented. It was strong drink. And some preachers trying to get out of the use of alcohol for Christians try to say, well, the only thing you could do with the strong drink was pour it out. No, read the rest of Deuteronomy. And what you have left over, drink and eat. You know the, what the leftover of the sacrifice, drink and eat in the presence of the Lord. So Jesus wasn't making grape juice when he made wine. It was wine. So if you're going to drink alcohol, drink it responsibly, as the way I like to say it, drink with Jesus, because how many know Jesus is everywhere you go? So this is not a message to encourage you to start drinking. This is just a message to help you understand what drinking alcohol was for in the Bible. They drank it at the Last Supper. That wasn't grape juice. That was wine. That's why if you go today to celebrate Passover with Jews, there's going to be alcohol in the wine. And how many know the Catholics are wrong about a whole bunch of stuff, but they're right about some stuff? How many know their right to serve wine in communion? Because that's biblical. So once again, I'm not promoting drinking. If you cannot drink responsibly, don't drink at all. If it's something that you have a bad experience with, leave it alone. You're better off without it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the example that I'm giving, that I'm spiritual and not spooky, I'm talking about how Jesus said there's a new wineskin. The old covenant was the old wineskin, and it had wine in it. And the people, because they did not keep the law correctly, the wine was spilt out. The, the wine was wasted. They didn't get what God wanted them to get out of it. Only a few here and there got the taste of the sweet wine of heaven. Are you listening? So he said, I'm going to give you a new wineskin that can hold the new what? The new wine. And when Jesus makes new wine at the marriage supper of the feast, what does the banquet owner or the, the one over the banquet say? You've served the best for last. Now, how many know that's not that cheap stuff? That's that good stuff. Now, I personally, when I drink, I do not drink wine. Wine is bitter for me. Wine, I don't like the flavors. I don't like the notes. You know, some people are like, oh, I like the flavor. I like the little, little hint of uh, burgundy in here or something, whatever they talk about. I don't know what they're talking about. Whenever I'm with people and they have wine, I'm like, can I get some Sprite, some ice? I'm going to put some Sprite and ice and mix it with my wine. And then somebody goes, oh, yeah, that's called Mad Dog or something, you know. But listen. Uh, if I'm going to drink, I usually drink mixed drinks. I mix the wine. I mix it because that's how I prefer. I don't like it so bitter. I like it sweet. But when they gave that wine, when those servers gave that wine to the man in charge of the banquet, he said, you serve the best for last. Normally, people, when they've well drunk at the party, then they bring out that cheap stuff that nobody cares about. Now, right here is another example of how I know Jesus wasn't making grape juice. Because how many know you don't have different gradients of grape juice and nobody cares about it? It had to be wine because people care about their wine. Some of you who are wine connoisseurs are like, Joe, you just don't get it. You just don't get it, Joe. 
I'm going to take you out to one of these places, and I'm going to have you taste all the wines, and I'll be there to explain it to you. No, I'm going to save your time. People have already tried to do it with me. But you understand, wine consumers, that they will talk about the wine. They will talk about the note. They can tell you that that stuff you got was from Walgreens that you serving them, you know? They know it's from Walgreens because it just doesn't taste right. But the Bible says that when Jesus' wine was served, they said, man, you served the best at the last. And so I want you to understand we are spiritual and not spooky. We are spiritual people, new wineskins filled with the Holy Spirit, not getting some bootleg type religion. When I look at religion, not only doctrinally is it wrong and heretical, but it's also bootleg. It's also messed up. It's not good for you. How many know you can drink what they call like uh, that whiskey that they made back in the day? They, you could drink, what is that stuff they called it, man? Moonshine. Thank you. How many know you can drink the moonshine, but moonshine is not good for you, right? Okay. And I know that some people, they look at Islam and they're like, oh yeah, there's some spiritual stuff in there. That's that bootleg spiritual stuff. Can I get some in the monitors, please? I'm, I'm, I need some help up here. Can I hear an amen to, to not wanting the bootleg stuff? See, Islam is bootleg. Hinduism is bootleg. It's that toxic stuff. Yeah, you can drink it, but you might go blind. <laughs> Right? You can drink it, but you might lose your mind and go crazy. It's poison. You're not meant to drink that kind of stuff. That's why I love when you, you look at the Bible. The Bible gives us the understanding of what spirituality is supposed to be. Spirituality is supposed to be a relationship with you and God. It's supposed to be intimate. It's not just supposed to be based on a bunch of rules. It's supposed to be intoxicating to the point that it fills you up and leaves you wanting more. So you're full, but you still want more. Have you ever eaten a good meal and then you were full, but you still wanted more because it was that good? You wish you had room. You see, the, the, the intoxication of the Spirit doesn't make you drunk. It doesn't make you uh, in, inebriated to the point where you can't function. The intoxication of the Spirit actually empowers you for life. And so the Bible wants you to know that you're supposed to be spiritual but not spooky, that you're supposed to be a new wineskin, that the wine of the Spirit can be poured into you. Hallelujah, Jesus, give me more. And you're supposed to use that spirit empowerment to go out there and change the world. And so when you're giving them some of that wine and you say, look, I got some fine wine of the spirit, take a drink. They're not supposed to say, what is this bootleg stuff? They're supposed to look back at you and go, man, I want some more. I want some more. And then you take them to the wine press of God where God transforms their spirit into his nature. And then through that divine intertanglement of the, of the Holy Spirit with their spirit, they get to sense the, the power, the goodness, the grape juice turning to wine in their life. How many believe that? Amen. Now let's look at how we're supposed to be spiritual, not spooky. Starting in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Some may say a living soul. That's what the King James says, and being, nefesh, is soul. So here we see in the beginning that at the start, man is just but dust. He's just but clay. He has not been animated like the animals. The animals get an animation just by the words of God being spoke. You know, let the fish fill up the sea. Let the birds fill up the air. And then they're just being animated, coming into being. But with mankind, as we're going to see, female comes from Adam. And so together, Adam and Eve are made in this way. Through God's special creation, he makes them, and then this is the second part. After he makes them out of clay, he breathes into them the breath of life. This is what we believe entails, the image of God. Now, we don't want to go too far with this word nefesh, living being there, because nefesh is also in the animals and the different things that are upon the earth. Now, they can be called to have souls, but they don't have the souls like we do. So if we, you know, sometimes we say, why animals don't have souls? Well, but according to the book of Genesis. They have nefesh, we have nefesh, nefesh is translated soul. But what makes our nefesh, what makes our soul different than a dog's soul is that God gives us the soul from his own breath. He didn't do that from the animals. Does everybody get that? So we have a unique soul, and I like to call that soul a spiritual soul. 
It is a spiritual soul. So though animals may have a soul, and we could consider a soul like mind, will, and emotions, these kind of animals, especially the land creatures like dogs and different things, they may have a mind, a will, and emotions. They do not have a spiritual mind, will, and emotions. They are not connected to the divine like we are, hence the reason we can eat them. Because how many know that would be kind of crazy if we could eat spiritual beings, all right? Like, like, if, like if you could eat an angel or something, that wouldn't be right, okay? And so if... And, and, and so, yes, their food would still taste, you know, their meat would still taste good, but it would be weird to take a, you know, a being that understood things that, that, that could communicate with us. Like, basically, the cow is like, please don't eat me. And he's like, don't eat me. I'm a spiritual being just like you. And I know I taste good, but please don't cut me up. Don't put me on the grill. I, you know, I don't want that. And then he just kind of walks away, and then we keep kind of walking behind him, you know, with the butcher knife. And he's like, y'all leave me alone now. And we're like, no, we're going to eat you. No, we're going to eat you right now. See, that would be crazy. See, there's not a world in which that exists. That's not the true world. That's a fake make-believe world. Like that, The real world, that, that, that doesn't exist. We're eating animals because they may have a mind, will, and emotions. They may have a nefesh in them, but they do not have a spiritual life in them. And so spiritual life made by the breath of God inside of us gives us volition of consciousness, and that means we can understand consciousness and operate out of it freely with self-determination, free will, and that's what makes us unique. So we, we think about what we think about, we communicate those thoughts with others, with ourselves, and then we make free will choices where it seems like the animals live by instinct. They're not really making a choice. And so you see this all the time. You know, somebody, uh, you know, just really loves some wild creature, goes out to the jungle to become friends with them. You know, I was watching this one show. This guy went up to Alaska to become a friend with bears. You know, that's what he wanted to do. And he was friends with those bears for like years. He would go up there, film videos. There's like a whole documentary about this. But how many know it probably didn't end well? If you didn't, you didn't have to see the documentary to know it doesn't end well, right? Because what happens? One of these days, the bears just get hungry. And he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And what happens? The bear eats him. Now, do you think the bear made a free will choice? Like, I am now going to eat my friend. No, the bear just act, acted out of instinct. So as natural as it is for the bear to eat somebody is as natural as it is for them to rape and do all of these other things. But we are different than the animals because we are spiritual. Somebody say spiritual. We're spiritual. Come on, we're spiritual. But we're not just any kind of spirit. We're a spirit made in the image of God to have a conscience, free will, volition, self-determination to please God. So we're supposed to be spiritual, but not spooky or sinful, if you want to go to another S word, but we messed it up. We became sinful by falling in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. Now go to John chapter 3 to see the restoration of our spiritual life. God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this tree, you know, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Then Satan comes to them and says, oh, you won't die. You're just going to become like God. And then they eat of it, and they don't die physically, but what happens to them? Where do they die? Spiritually, right? This is a teaching that we have in our church, and it's common to evangelicals, and even sometimes outside of evangelicalism, Catholics and Orthodox may agree with some of these points, but they're going to differ as we get more into it. So traditional Christianity is we were made spiritual. People um, are spiritual, but we have sinned, and because of that, now we are dead spiritually, and we need to be made alive spiritually, and so that we're no longer spooky, and we're no longer sinful, and so I might add on to this message, don't be sinful, but I really want to hit, uh, hit on today the spookiness, because how many have seen a lot of people be spiritual, but they're spooky? How many here have met granola Christians that are fruits, nuts, and what? Flakes. I mean, just nothing about them is normal, right? And they're trying to say, well, God said we're a peculiar people, you know? Yeah, but you're not supposed to be crazy, okay? You could be, you could be a little bit different. You could be a little bit odd, but that doesn't mean you have to be cross-eyed wearing your shirt backwards and, and not using mouthwash, right? Like there's, there's something about when people get spiritual, they get weird, and, 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 and this is oftentimes what happens when people are not taught sound doctrine because they don't have boundaries to their spirituality. 
And, and this doesn't mean that everything that is weird is wrong because sometimes serving God is weird. How many know God has a sense of humor and God can do stuff? Like God can spit into dirt and wipe it on somebody's eyes and say, now be healed. You know, you go wash it off. And you can go, you can like think to yourself like about this person in the story, like as he's going to wash it off, he's like, man, everybody else just got prayed for. I got spat in my eyes. Like, I mean, did we really have to do this, Jesus? I mean, I know you've done it for someone else and you didn't spit in their eye. You spit in my eye. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining, but you spit in my eye, you know? And, and so the, the idea is, is that spiritual things can be weird. They can be different because what is normal to heaven may not be normal to earth. And we want to see what's normal for, for heaven to come to earth. So I don't want to make us now what, what I call like, you know, Holy Ghost police, you know? Like we're going to be policing people, you know, for the Holy Ghost. You know? And like, Excuse me here, I just want to pull you over here at the altar. Uh, do you know what you were doing at this altar? Uh, you were speaking in tongues, but yet you weren't changing syllables. It sounded more like a banshee. I had to pull you over because I'm thinking you're just making that up now. And uh, we're going to have a little talk about this. you got to at least change the syllables up here a little bit. Or you at least got to bring the volume down because we're all just thinking here. We're just thinking... We have entered into the world of banshees right now, so could you please, can you fix this? If not, I'm going to have to give you a ticket. The first one's a warning, you know? Or the other one who gets interpretive dance, you know? And, and I've gotten interpretive dance before, I have to be honest, but you know, there's always, you know, woo, woo, got to pull you over here. You're doing interpretive dance at the wrong time, the wrong motions. Too much pelvic, too much swaying of the hips. We got a brother back here that's just watching you dance back and forth. It's no longer spiritual. You know, it's like a gentleman's club up here. And let's just be honest. It happens. Got to pull you over. You got to check your dress, check your hips. I don't know what spiritual thing you're doing here and interpreting, but we don't need the Song of Solomon interpreted here. Okay, ma'am, we're sending you on your way. You know what I'm saying. And then we could just pull over the guy, you know, because the guy always wants to pray for the woman. Woo! Hey, I just saw you, sir, praying for this woman, laying your hand upon her chest, praying for the fire of the Holy Ghost. It's happened. Let's be honest. You know, and some of this stuff we're going to do as elders and deacons. How many know we're going to stop that, right? We're going to stop that. But you don't need to now walk around like you're the Holy Ghost police. That, that's not what we're supposed to do either. We are supposed to discern the Spirit and see whether or not it has come from God. We have some key questions to ask people when we think they might be a little bit off, like, is Jesus Lord? Can you confess Jesus is Lord? We then can ask them other questions about doctrine to see where they're going with some of these things. And then we can ask them to do things and decency and in order, even if we don't necessarily think it's wrong, we may just want to pull the card of, hey, this is just weird. It's not wrong, but it's weird. How many know things can be weird, but not wrong? Okay? And that doesn't mean like everything that's wrong, we got to beat people up over. It's just like, hey, it's just a little bit weird. And, and so we need to be spiritual and not spooky and understand what is the point of all of this. Like, what is the point of God giving us spiritual gifts? Is the point of God giving us spiritual gifts so that we can lord it over each other, so that we can always talk in King James, that we can pretend that we're always tapped into heaven and make people think they're not, like there's bigger, bigger people in the kingdom of God and small people. No, the, the point of the spiritual life is so that we all can be in relationship with God, interacting with Him in supernatural ways, and then imparting that to a hurting world. So the gift of discerning of spirits is not for you to be nosy up in somebody's business. It's to know whether or not someone needs deliverance. Are you tracking with me? And the word of wisdom and knowledge is not for you to read somebody's mail so you can embarrass them, but to help them know God is tracking with their life and has a plan and purpose for them. Now, a lot of this I'm saying here is also outlined in our discipleship courses and in our devotionals. You can find them online or in the back there. But what I want to do is look at John chapter 3, verse 3, famous scripture. Jesus says to Nicodemus, a religious person, he says, truly I tell you, no one could see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So that born again speaks to the spiritual nature, right? We have been born again, those of us who are Christians, but our physical 
physical nature is the same, is it not? Okay, so the spiritual nature is being born again in the new covenant by God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. That is the restoration of what we lost in the Garden of Eden. We lost a spiritual life, though we were still souls, and the Bible even goes as far to say that sinners, like animals, live by brute instinct, live by animal instinct, by their belly, their God is their belly, the Bible says, because the flesh is now their slave master. And now in the New Testament, Jesus is saying, let's get born again. Let's go beyond what the law could do in the old covenant, that old wine that was leaking out because people were not living by the law. Let Christ fulfill the law for us, give us a spiritual life, and get all the new wine of heaven and be in the new covenant as spiritual people that are not spooky. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. And so he explains that that's a spiritual growth, uh, spiritual birth. So just go down a little bit because Nicodemus asked the profound question. Uh, verse 4 going on from 5 and onward. You know, Jesus says you must be born again. And Nicodemus, as smart as he is, asks how can a person be born once they're old? Surely they cannot enter into their, wo- their mother's womb for a second time, right? Isn't that just a brilliant question to ask? But how many know you would probably ask it yourself? Like Jesus says, hey, you need to be born again. And then Nicodemus is like, I don't know if my mom's going to like that. Why? Because what is he thinking? A physical birth. He's like, mom, Jesus told me to get born again. Open wide, bring it up. I'm coming in, mom, so we can do this all over again. How many know mom is saying, no, thank you? And I just, I have, a, I have to tell on my young child, he's going to turn three, but he's two now. He, anytime people come over, he always wants to go back up in his mother's womb. He's just one of those kind of kids that just goes right back into his mother's womb. Does anybody have any shy children that try to do that? Okay, a few of us have those kids. I always say, come on, you can't go up in your mother's womb again, boy, get out of there. Because that's just what he does. Children are just like that. Oh, somebody's coming. Hide me, mom. Hide me. Well, that's what Nicodemus is saying here. This is not like whatever, like Andrew Dice Clay humor or Howard Stern. That's literally what Nicodemus thought that what it meant. But Jesus clarifies. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water in the spirit. And I believe the water is the word of God. We're washed with it. Flesh gives birth to what? Flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. That's what he's talking about, spiritual birth. From the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say spiritual but not spooky. Now let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, excuse me, go to John chapter uh, 20, verse 21 first, though. We have time to do this. I want to show this to you. Because John builds up the spiritual life. John is one of the, uh, the apostles of Jesus that writes a gospel, but his gospel is very unique. His gospel starts with the word in heaven equal to the Father. And then he shows what the word Jesus does in the flesh. Jesus does spiritual things to glorify the Father and then talks about sending the Spirit so that we can be born again and do the same things. That's quite a unique take on the Gospels. Even though Mark ends the Gospel saying, hey, go and do these same things, but John is very clear to how we're going to do the things of Jesus, casting out demons, you know, uh, raising the dead, all of that. How are we going to do that according to John? What does John say in 14 and 15 and 16 that we're going to do that by? How are we going to do it? Okay, let's, let's not skip to 20. Let's go back to 14. I have one person saying I want everybody to say it. Go to John chapter 14. I wish I had a lot of time to build this up, but this is all the introduction. Look at your neighbor and say, it's the introduction. Go to John chapter 14, the spiritual life. John is emphasizing our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, scroll on down John chapter 14 a little bit here. Keep on going a little bit. Let's go down to the, to the end part here. Uh, no, excuse me. I mean, um, well, we could go there now that you're, you're there, but just scroll up a little bit more for me. Go to around, say, 15. Go up to around verse 15 here. Notice right here, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you what? Another advocate. Uh, put the mouse over another. It's Elion. Another of the same kind. It's a profound understanding. This word right here teaches us that we are receiving another just like the Father and another just like the Son. The another we're receiving is just like the I and the Father speaking here. And in verse 16, who's the I speaking? Jesus. And I, who's the I speaking? Jesus will ask the Father and he will give you 
another advocate. So another Elion, just like the Father, just like Jesus, to help you and to be with you forever. Who is that? The Spirit of truth. Okay, now, who does John say is responsible for the Christian living a spiritual life full of miracles? The Holy Spirit. That's the answer. I'm going to help you, class. Can I give you the answer now? The Holy Spirit. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. Does the book of Mark tell us who is going to be responsible for us as Christians casting out demons? No. If you go through the book of Mark, we don't really understand how we're going to do that. We know Jesus commanded us to do it. We know he did it. And by the baptism story of Jesus in Mark, we see the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. But where in Mark would we know that we're going to cast out demons, raise the dead, do all of these things that Mark 16 ends with? How would we know the power, the source we're going to do that by specifically? We really wouldn't. That's why the Gospels are not contradictory. They're complementary. How many believe in surround sound? Notice I said the word believe. You believe in it, right? That means when you're watching a show, you don't have to check it every time. You just take for granted that what's bouncing behind you is supposed to be there because in the movie, they want you to hear it from behind. That what's coming from the left or coming from the right, it's, it's supposed to be there because that's the way it's supposed to be. Have you ever stopped the surround sound or the movie that's playing surround sound and go, hold on, let me just isolate left side. Let me isolate. Let me make sure now as I watch Watch the movie. Let me make sure left side is really left side. No, most of us, we take it for granted that the person who organized the sound, some to come out of the left, the front, the other, the right, and the rear, and then the left, right, rear, uh, right rear, left rear, we take that for granted. Now, when we read the Bible, we take it for granted that they're complementary, these gospels, that they're not contradictory. But how many know if you took the time to isolate each gospel, you would see there is no contradiction? You see, the Holy Spirit is being brought up in the book of John, complementary to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to show us the source of power. The source of the power of the spiritual life comes from being born again by the Spirit, and now through this advocate living among us. Now go to John chapter 20. Go to John chapter 20. Look at how the book of John ends with this concept of receiving the Holy Spirit by the breath of God. How did we become living souls in the book of Genesis? What did God do? He did what in us? He breathed in us, and there we became living souls. Now look at the end of the book of John, chapter 20, and let's go to verse 21. We see now Jesus is resurrected. He comes to his disciples. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he what on them? He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Wow, isn't that amazing? The book of John is completing the spiritual picture that we're supposed to get from his gospel. We're supposed to get from the book of John that the Holy Spirit is not just an active force, but is the third person of the Trinity, equal with the Father and the Son, and that the Holy Spirit is the one that made us spiritual souls in the garden when we were breathed into by him, and now he's breathing into us again. Doesn't that, first of all, just show you the divinity of Jesus? Because in the beginning, it's God. We just know it as God. We don't know the persons per se. We don't know if it's the Father, Son, or the Holy Spirit. We just know God breathes in us. But now, according to the book of John, the very one that breathes in us is Jesus. So before Jesus took on flesh as the Son, the eternal Son of God, he was there in the garden breathing on us. Now after the resurrection of having taken on flesh so that we could be redeemed by his flesh, he is now restarting, rebirthing in us a spiritual life. How many believe in that today? Amen. And so have you received the new birth of the Spirit? That's the beginning portion, the birth of the Spirit. Now, notice here that he moves on to other conversations, but it seems to be that there's more he has to say. Go to Acts chapter 1, complimentary, not contradictory. Acts chapter 1 continues the story of Jesus post-resurrection. Why is it I believe there's more things for him to say? Because when you look at the timeline, Jesus is with his disciples for 40 days. How many know for 40 days he did more than just breathe on them? He didn't just breathe on them and go, 
Okay, guys, now let's just hang around for the next 40 days. No, it says he began to teach them things. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts continues this story. Look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, talking about his gospel of Luke, same author, Luke, writes the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So he goes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through who? the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Similar to John, but John has more uh, in regard to the Holy Spirit actually being birthed in them or, or coming to birth in them. But he says, I kind of ended just at, at that point. But now look at verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the what? The kingdom of God, thank you. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, so notice he's having multiple meals. He's hanging out with them. On one of those occasions in those 40 days, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. Now hold on. Hold on here, uh, Luke. We already know about this through John. John told us they received the Holy Spirit. Why are you now telling us, uh, Luke, that there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit? Aren't these the same exact things? And now this is where we get into arguments and debates with the Roman Catholics, the Orthodox, and even many Protestant denominations. They want to say that the Holy Spirit rebirthing in you is also the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that it's a one-and-done experience with the Holy Spirit. If you've been born again by the Holy Spirit, you've also been baptized by the Holy Spirit. But let's just think about this. Jesus is still with them, and yet he is is saying you have to wait to receive something from the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Spirit. If that was the same thing they received in John on another of those occasions, why would they have to wait to receive it again? Everybody track with me. Now, at this point, I'll do you the favor of researching. I'll, I'll save you some time because I know their answers. The Baptist, the Catholic, whoever it is, they're going to say that what Jesus did in John was symbolic. Now, open up another tab just to see if we can see any symbolism here. You guys ready for this? Let's see if we see any symbolism, okay? Because what they now have to do to make one and done baptism of the Spirit happening at the same time of the birth of the Spirit is they now have to make the John passage in John chapter 20, uh, verse 21 and onward, they now have to make that symbolic. So as we're waiting for our brother to get there, John chapter 20, verse 21, please help him in the back. Let's see if we notice anything symbolic. Do you guys know how to recognize things that are symbolic? Like how about this, when Jesus said, I'm the door, did that mean all of a sudden there was a knob on Jesus? And then when he opened up, it, it, it creaked open? Somebody say symbolism. Okay, when Jesus said something like, I'm the good shepherd, and all of a sudden he just chained to have, changed to have like a shepherd's rod in his hand, and all disciples around him, bah, bah, right? So how many can recognize symbolism? Okay, let's see if we recognize any symbolism here. Jesus says, peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Any symbolism here, folks? Come on, Bible class, let's help them get free and become Pentecostal. You might be Baptist, but it's time to become Bapticostal. Do, do, do you see any symbolism here? And, then, and, and I say this with all due respect to Jesus, but it's more to a mock of their position because I like to tease. If it's just symbolism, could you just imagine the disciples at this point? Jesus with his hot Cheeto breath says, boys, come on over here. His hot hummus breath. And then you could just imagine all the disciples around them going, uh, did you receive anything? No, but I, I did tell that Jesus ate some hummus with some garlic today. Like that's all that just happened. Jesus with some hummus breath just breathed on us, and we were all just supposed to understand this was symbolic. Is that what's going on right there? 
No, it looks like, it sounds like, it reads like there's something actually happening here. There is the Holy Spirit being given to them here. And what was the angle of John's gospel from the very beginning? A spiritual life, to be born again. Do you guys remember that when we read that? His whole emphasis was it's a spiritual life. It's a spiritual rebirth. This is what God has for you. So is it any dink that at the end of that gospel, he ends by giving them a spiritual life, one like done in the same way they had had in Genesis but had lost when they ate from the tree and died? Did he not breathe in them in the garden literally? Is anything symbolic about that? Right? So why not take it as it is? The gospel of John is teaching us a spiritual life. Now going back to Luke, please. Luke, uh, Acts rather. Luke's account of the church in Acts chapter 1. Notice in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is talking with them, eating with them, and then says, you need this. Now, the disciples didn't argue back and go, well, you know, we've already got you breathing on us, and that was enough. You know, he said he need this. Let's keep going to verse 7 now. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He now explains this. And I challenge anybody here, because I've done this in cemetery, I mean seminary, with my friends and professors. I challenge anybody here to find any reference to salvation in Acts 1 or 2. In any of the teachings of Jesus about the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 or in the experience of the disciples in Acts chapter 2, show me any salvific, any message, anything about salvation, redemption, born again, spiritual life, any of those things in those chapters, you won't find it. What do you find instead? Look at Acts 1-7. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority when, he's come, when, you know, when Jesus is coming back. Verse 8, but you will receive what? Power. Somebody say power. Thank you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the last he has to say about it. So he talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then he talks about us receiving power. Anything here to do with salvation? Anything here? You shall receive salvation when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall receive new birth. No, now go to Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit actually comes upon them, do they now say, hey, I'm saved. Hey, are you saved? I'm saved. No, they see tongues like fire begin to set on each one of them. Verse 4, all of them filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit began to speak in other tongues as what? The Spirit enabled them. So did the disciples say, stop, Holy Ghost, stop. I already got you. I don't need you anymore. It's one and done. No, they're like, come on, Holy Spirit, empower me to preach the gospel and show me the signs and the wonders of heaven. What are signs and wonders? Signs that make you wonder what God is up to, right? So they don't stop the Holy Spirit. They say, we're, opening, we're open to signs and wonders, but we don't necessarily want to be spooky. We want to see signs that make us wonder what is God up to. Now go all the way down to chapter 2, verse 38. This is now for those who say, okay, Joe, I got it. It happened. It was real. It was real. It did go down the way you're saying it went down. But it was only, only, only for those, those, those back then, back then, back then, who really needed it, who really needed it, who really needed it. Like as if we're talking through the corridors of time, time, time. Do you believe that only the first disciples needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe only the first disciples needed to speak in tongues, cast out devils, raise the dead, discern spirits, have supernatural wisdom? Is that only for them way back then, 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 way off yonder? No, it's for us today. Somebody say, I need it today. See, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Paul can, uh, Peter rather concludes his sermon, and he says, Every one of you repent, be baptized in the name or by the authority of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are for, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So the power of the Holy Spirit is for all whom the Lord our God will call. Are you an all that the Lord is still calling? Come on, somebody. Are you a far-off generation? Amen. Here we are today, Jesus. And so now do you understand the spiritual foundation for the spiritual life? Amen. Can I help you now not to be spooky? 
because that really was the introduction. But can I help you now not to be spooky? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. It doesn't mean we can't have fun. It doesn't mean we can't see great things in the Holy Spirit. But I just want to give you some warning signs against being spooky and, and hopefully show you the right way to use the gifts, not saying I'm an expert, but just drawing out some boundaries. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, we are introduced to a spiritual church. This spiritual church is an example for us and what to do and what not to do. How many know there are some things in life that you're supposed to learn what not to do from or some people in life? Like we're supposed to look at these situations and go, don't be like that. And sometimes, you know, I tell people, you're going to be a proverb one way or the other. The proverb that talks about the fool or the proverb that talks about the wise man. Don't be a proverb of the fool, okay? Be a proverb of the wise person. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul speaking to this spiritual church, church. And yes, there's going to be some pros and cons to this church, but notice what he says to them. I always thank my God for you because of the grace given you in Christ Jesus. So he's happy that they're saved. He loves them. Now look at verse 5. For in him you have been enriched in every way. God has blessed them in every way with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge. And I love this. How many know we need to know how to speak right? And we need to have knowledge. How many are thankful for people like John MacArthur and Andy Stanley and others who know how to speak right and have knowledge? How many are happy for that? But it doesn't stop there. It says, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any what? Spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. How many want to see John MacArthur speak in tongues? How many want to see Andy Stanley speak in tongues? You see, I'm happy that they know stuff and they speak so well about the things of God. If they're not against us, they're for us. And I thank the Lord for them because I have been a little bit turned off by Bethel and the fruit, nuts, and flakes of the church. They closed down their healing rooms. Think about this. Closed down the healing rooms during COVID and John MacArthur, who doesn't even believe in the modern day gifts of the Spirit, opened up his church. So he actually had more spiritual faith towards the things of God and healing than the church supposedly charging you to go to their healing classes. I literally looked at their website and it says, we have now opened up our healing rooms. Wonderful. Why did they ever close? You know, and God have mercy if I judge them falsely. I don't mean to do that, but I just want to warn you against spookiness. Because if you believe that God is healing and God is restoring health to people and you have such a thing called a healing room, why not keep that bad boy open when there's a bunch of people that are sick? Otherwise, you look, and I'm just being honest, speaking to my own kind, my people, otherwise you look like you really don't believe in healing. You get what I'm saying? Otherwise, you look hypocritical, and God doesn't need more hypocrites on the scene. Okay, so whatever good comes out of Bethel, hear my heart on that. And if you like Bethel, that's between you and the Lord. But I just want to warn you against the spookiness of this world and how they, how they, uh, the, you know, the church world and how they consider it to be spiritual when it's really just spooky. You should have a real encounter with healing that can go through COVID if that is your gift. I'm not saying that's my gift. I'm just saying if that's your gift, you should be able to operate in it while people are sick. There's, there's a story about when influenza was going around, and an early Pentecostal, I can't remember his name. If anybody remembers it, shout it out. Oh, he was one that went to Africa. Alan West, not Alan West, A.A. Uh, a. Allen. One, one of the preachers of early Pentecostalism said, put influenza on my hand and then watch it under a microscope die. What was that? John G. Lake. Thank you, sisters. How many know that takes faith to do that? you got to have the gift of healing or at least the faith that God is going to give it to you at that moment to do something like that. Now, I may not be the one to do that, but how many know Gene Nicole, our missionaries to Africa and to the Philippines? That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to look for it. So he was trying to hug every person he could. He was trying to get around every COVID person he could. He prayed for every person he could. And that's what God has called him to do. And I think more of us should be like that. Amen. I would rather you have wildfire than no fire. And one of our friends, Steve Castle, is like that as well. And so I'm not here to put this pressure on you that everybody has to operate at this level. I think you should start where you feel comfortable and then let God stretch you. Let God stretch you. But I don't want you to have reckless faith where we have people who have tried, sadly, to walk on water and they don't know how to swim. So, yes, I'm coming to meet you, Jesus. I'm coming to meet you. And then they go meet Jesus. Jesus didn't tell you to walk on the water. Are you tracking with me? So you better do it as according to your faith. 
Otherwise, you're going to meet him in another way, okay? But can people still walk on water should the Lord call them? Yes, be spiritual, not spooky. So what do we see here? This church has spiritual gifts. But as we get right into the, the next passage here, look at verse 10. There's divisions among them. There's, there's already jealousy. How can you be spiritual, not spooky? Let me give you a few things before we go today. Vinny, would you come, please? Is that, number one, you live according to the unity of the body of Christ. You don't make spiritual gifts about you and then separating into different cliques, who's got more and who's got less. One of the telltale signs of spookiness and spirituality is when we start pushing each other's books from our favorite authors on each other, and we forget that we already have the best book by the best author right here. Amen. I know I can encourage you with this book or that book, Lester Summerall, John G. Lake, etc. But if you're talking more about John G. Lake than you're talking about Jesus, if you're talking more about the people who are, you know, your heroes and you're doing about Jesus, you're causing division. Don't be spooky. Be spiritual. Be unified. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. As I was going to work you through this today, maybe now you'll take this as a homework assignment, right? Work through 1 Corinthians 5 and see if you can see my message in more depth. If you want to be spiritual and not spooky, live holy. I'm tired of people saying they're spiritual, but they're not sanctified. How is it you're saying you have the gifts of the Spirit, but you can't control your tongue, you can't control your actions, your marriage is out of order? And I know this is true because the gifts are without reproach, or in other words, God doesn't take them back. But it's sad when I have pastors that I know are prophetic that are also saying, if I see my wife with that man, I'm going to murder them, both of them. I actually wasn't involved in a conversation like that. Can you imagine that? A pastor that I knew that was a prophet was having a troubled marriage, called me up and asked me for advice and kept repeating to me, if I catch them, I'm killing both of them. And I said, you know you can't kid like that, right? I'm like, that's really not that funny. And he's like, I'm not kidding. And I'm like, I have to report you if you don't take that back now. And I will have to now be a witness against you if anything happens to them. Do you understand that? Well, God has to help me, this, this, and that. And I'm like, dude, you have the Spirit. How is it you've been prophesying all these other times, but now you want to murder people? This is what I'm talking about that's happening behind the scenes in churches and people's lives. Some of the people that I knew growing up in church, they were spiritual, but they weren't living right. And it's spooky. Then it makes you weird. It makes you unable to make disciples of the nations. You, can't per you cannot impart what you don't have. Impartation comes from what you are. And sadly, a lot of people are laying on hands, and they're laying on hands from tainted hands and passing on their issues and their spiritual oppression. And so someone who is free can hand out freedom, but if you're in bondage, the only thing you're handing out is more bondage. And, I, and I'm sorry to say this, but a lot of people that we think are, you know, the who's who and the charismatic zoo, I think that a lot of them are handing out the wrong spirit and, a, and the wrong way of doing things. Be careful because all of, look at dealing with the case of incest, all that sin leads to is destruction. And it doesn't matter if you cover it up and you try to paint it in a picture that, that looks spiritual. It's still wrong. Okay, let's go now to uh, chapter 8. We see that in this church that they were messed up and they still had all these gifts. First Corinthians chapter 8, please. When we look at our spiritual gifts, we're not supposed to try to excuse our sins and go, well, I speak in tongues still. You know, what, what could really be the problem here? I speak in tongues, you know. I, I'm spiritual. What difference does it make how I treat my wife? No, you're not doing it the right way. Look at this. They were going to the foods. If you could keep the title up there, please. They were going to the places where food was sacrificed to idols and participating with false god ceremonies and still being spiritual. Then, and I don't have time because we're already out of time, they started getting drunk at communion services. You can be a spirit-filled idolater. You can be worshiping God in the wrong way and still be spirit-filled until he cuts you off. Are you guys listening? These are the same people he started off with at the beginning and said, you have every gift. But then he goes through, he says, but y'all crazy fighting all the time. You guys are having sinful relationships. You're offering up, you're, uh, you're eating food offered up to idols. Then he goes on to say, you're suing each other, going into lawsuits. And then you're getting drunk at communion, at least five different uh, accusations against these people. And yet he never takes back, everybody get this, he never takes back that they are spirit-filled. I believe that they could get cut off. 
they're probably headed towards backsliding. But notice he never takes that away from them. He's always talking to them in the sense of, I know you're spiritual, but you're not living right. And so, my friends, can I ask you today as spiritual people, as the altar workers come, that you and I would live holy lives and not use the gifts of the Spirit to hide our sins and our issues. Because how many know we've seen enough people abusing the spiritual gifts? How many know we've seen enough charlatans? And so I'm going to ask you today as these altar workers are coming, that as we get ready to stand, would you uh, stand with me, please? Going to end in prayer. I wish I had more time to do this, but, but Desi wanted to jump off the stage and get wild for Jesus, and Lauren kept it going, half kid. I, I love what they're doing right here. I know I had to cut this message way down. I'm like in the back, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to be able to say that. And then, I'm in the, and then I'm like, maybe I'll be able to say this, and then Des, woo! And I'm like, nope, I won't be able to say that. I'm going to have to cut that part out. The next prophecy comes, okay, Lord, I'm going to need some help on this. Go back and study 1 Corinthians about how they're not doing spirituality right and then end it with 12, 13, and 14 and how you're supposed to do it right. How are we supposed to do it right in unity and love, kindness, compassion, and order for the sake of Christ and his kingdom? We're supposed to avoid the pitfalls of sin and bitterness and compromise. That's really what idolatry is. We're supposed to not be carnal and getting drunk and looking for the worldly pleasures. We're supposed to be drinking our fill of the Spirit and having all things in moderation. Then the spiritual world, can I just end with this? Then the spiritual world will manifest in consistency in our lives, with consistency. You will see tongues and interpretation of tongues follow the character that you're giving to others to follow. See, the Bible says signs and wonders follow the believers. How many believe that? But how many believe also good character is supposed to follow the believers? See, signs and wonders are supposed to follow us, but so is our reputation. So is our integrity. So is our godly marriages and our godly children. Amen? So today in closing, if you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues, if you have not been introduced to this kind of spiritual life that has spiritual gifts, please ask these precious folks to pray with you before you go. And if you're here today and if you're struggling in your spiritual life, like your life is not lining up with spirituality, you're more spooky than spiritual, come and talk to them about starting discipleship, accountability, have them pray for you so that all that you do in your heart and mind line up together. They're not opposite. Well, in my heart, I love Jesus. Yeah, but your hand is slapping somebody. Oh, in my heart, I love Jesus. Yeah, but your mouth is cussing out somebody. In my heart, I'm spirit-filled. I speak in tongues. Yeah, but you're also cursing. The Bible says not to do that. Amen? Father, we thank you today. Band, would you come? Let's just thank the Lord for spiritual life, spiritual gifts. How many are born again? If you're not born again today, you can start to come forward to receive spiritual life. You can do that even as we dismiss. But those of us who are already born again, ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit. And then we can end in prayer and you coming up. But I'm going to pray for everyone right now that is born again to be spirit-filled. Father, I pray that everyone who knows you will get to know the power of your spirit. And if anyone here doesn't know you yet, I pray they'll be convicted to start a spiritual life. Yes, God, because you've given them more than just a body and a mind, will, and emotion. You've, you've destined them for spirituality. And therefore, Lord, I pray that everyone here will be born again, baptized in the Spirit, being used by you, God, for your power, for your glory. Would you just raise up your hands before we leave and just say, Lord, use me for your glory. Use me in the gifts. Use me in your power to see signs and wonders upon the earth, to be spiritual and not to be spooky. Come on, pray in your own words a few moments. Worship man, would you begin to lead us in a song? I'll dismiss us in just a moment. Second service, thank you for your patience. We'll be dismissing in just a moment as the band starts to worship. We're just believing today, God, that you're going to do something great in us, that you're going to give us more than what we've ever had before. Do you know that you can ask God for more of the Spirit, that it can flow through you more in powerful ways? Take a few moments to center that as your prayer. I want more of the power, more of the Spirit flowing through me, manifesting. I want to see the dead raised. I'm speaking for myself as I'm praying for you. Come on. How many want to see demons cast out? I want to see words of wisdom and knowledge. Power.